When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. We are back from our brief hiatus after the season so that both of us could exist as humans for a little bit. Now we're ready to get into the offseason, ready to get into the WNBA season. And there is plenty to talk about the biggest news of which UConn's got an addition out of the transfer portal. Lou Lopez Seneschal, a forward, probably closer to a wing from Fairfield. Her name had popped up a few weeks earlier. She's six foot one was the Mac player of the year. This past year, a three-time all first team Mac selection had 19.6 points per game, 4.6 rebounds per game. And her three point percentage went up every single year of her career and was over 40% her last two years. So on paper, a really good pickup, someone who fills a need for UConn because they really needed someone in the backcourt. And yes, she's listed as a forward, but the way I view her is she's basically in the same vein as the Caroline Ducharms or not necessarily the same caliber of player, but in the way they'd use her Katie Lou Samuelson, that big guard that is going to probably mostly play out on the wing can maybe get inside a little bit if they need her to. But again, listed as a forward, I look at her as a guard. They needed some depth back there with only four guards, whether or not she actually pans out, which is, you know, something we can get into. They just needed another warm body back there. It doesn't even matter who it was. So I think she's a really intriguing pickup. I think she's some she's someone that fits kind of what they're looking for. And obviously a lot of questions still need to get answered, but at least you've got someone back there. It's not just, you know, you're four and then you have nothing else, a steep drop off. You've got something. Yeah, exactly. I think it adds a little bit of depth to the backcourt, which they desperately kind of needed going into this offseason. So I think that rounds out the biggest hole in the roster going into next year, which is an important pickup for UConn. The big question is going to be, can she actually contribute to the team? Because playing at Fairfield is one thing and being a Mac player of the year at Fairfield is another, but that's still a really big step up. And we've seen in the past that it's not always a very easy transition. And sometimes the transition never even happens from a low level like that up to UConn. The best example being Evelyn Adebayo just a couple of years ago, a first team all Murray, not Murray state Ohio Valley conference. I think it was at Murray state player came to UConn and just never factored into the rotation at all. Never got any significant minutes outside the end of the fourth quarter. It just never came together for her. the jump proved to be too big. Even dorky Uhas, a three time all big 10 first team player, struggled in her first year at UConn. Obviously injuries were a factor, but 
there were still to just blame injuries would be to kind of let her off the hook. There were other shortcomings with her game to begin with. So on paper, I think it's really good and it's a low risk, high reward type pickup. I think there's just a lot of questions about whether or not she's going to be able to handle not only the level that UConn plays at, but also the expectations and the pressure and all the other intangibles that come with playing at UConn. Yeah, it's going to be a tough jump. I think like you said it's very different from playing in the MAC. I think the one thing that bodes well for her transition is you look at Fairfield made the NCAA tournament this year and that first round game they lost, but they played Texas and she had 17 points on 50% shooting from the floor in that game against one of the best defenses in the country. So I think it bodes well for the fact that she's capable of producing kind of at that level, but it'll be interesting to see if that can kind of translate into a more consistent thing off the bench at someplace like UConn. Right. I'm curious if it helps that she doesn't need to be a big star at UConn. She can be a fifth guard. I mean, no disrespect to her, but I think it's fair to say that she's going to come in and be fifth on the depth chart because you're not passing page backers. You're not passing AZ FUD. If Caroline Ducharme's healthy and is playing the way that she was at her peak last year, you're not passing her. I have very bold predictions about Caroline Ducharme's sophomore year. And Nika Mule, you know, her numbers are never there, but her impact always is. And no matter what, Nika Mule has an impact when she's on the floor. So I don't think you're going to pass her either. And also, what Nika Mule's doing out on the floor and the role that she's going to have is almost a different position completely than what Lou, Sen- or Lou Lopez Seneschal is going to have for UConn, even if they're both maybe technically backcourt players. So she's going to be low on the depth chart. Is it going to be good for her to not have that pressure or would it be more beneficial for her to have that little bit of a spark and the need to do something where she can't just sit back and kind of relax and try and work her way in? I don't know the answer to that, but I think it will be something to just keep an eye on and monitor because I think we'll learn pretty quickly during the summer how well she's fitting in and how well she's doing in those early days. Not that that's the end all be all, but if she's coming in and getting very high reviews from her teammates immediately when camps or when summer workouts start, that's more of a positive sign than if she wasn't not to state the obvious. Yeah, exactly. It'll be interesting to see kind of how she adjusts off the bat this summer, but it's going to be an interesting transition too, because I think you're looking at a player that at Fairfield had the ball in her hands more often than not. She was kind of, even though she is at the, you know, listed as the wing forward, she was, her usage rate was over 30%. She was, had the ball in her hands a lot. And obviously that's not really going to be the role that she's going to be filling at a place like UConn. So it's going to be a big transition, but it'll be interesting to kind of see how she adjusts to that. Even if at the very least they can get her to be a good defender, a three and D player, pretty much. Because mm-hmm. as I said, her three point percentage went up every single year of her career. And it was pretty level those last three years. It was like 32% as a freshman, and then above 38% the last two years, and a 38.8% three point percentage when oh, over her entire career. UConn. Not that it doesn't have great three-point shooting, but when you only have three guards that can really shoot the ball, Nika Buell can hit the three-pointer when you need her to, but she doesn't take a whole lot. I think even that's valuable. And We saw Caroline Ducharme struggle with it a little bit, and it's such a finicky part of the game, especially at the college level, that if you have another person out there who can help, I think that's just – you can only have 
you can never have enough three-point shooters is what I'm trying to say. So if at the very least she is not even a three and D player, but a three and not be a liability on D type player, you don't need her to be anything special. You just need her to help out. I don't know if she's going to be able to do it because the history of players transferring to UConn in general, not just players transferring up, but players transferring to UConn in general is not all that great, but maybe she's the one to break the mold. Yeah, exactly. And I think from that perspective too, like because she's such a good three-point shooter, she can find that at UConn as well. It helps them space the floor too. If you're going to be playing Dorka Juhas and Olya Edwards side by side, probably quite a bit next year, you'll have the option to have her out on the floor. Then you've got three players on the floor that can take a three and people have to guard them on the perimeter and that can help them space the floor inside as well. Exactly. It's going to be a very interesting roster next season. Lots of talent, again, even though you are losing the three seniors, but we will talk about that more in an upcoming episode. <laughs> There's really no rush this summer to talk about next season. We have the entire summer to do so, and once we get through these little news bits and you know early WNBA season and all those sorts of things, there will be plenty of time to talk about next season. There are some changes that could be coming off the court, though. Today, being Thursday, the State Assembly approved legislation that will allow student-athletes to use their university's name, logos, mascot, all those sorts of things in their endorsements, which is something that UConn was pushing for to help with recruiting. And the number one thing that people want as a result, jerseys. It could maybe lead to UConn women's basketball jerseys with player names and numbers coming out. Although I say that, and it would be a little weird for them to sell jerseys with names on it when the actual jerseys don't have them. But I feel like you can't sell a Paige Becker's jersey if it doesn't say Becker's on it, right? Yeah, I feel like they're just going to have to sell them with names on them because it feels like it would be foolish for them to choose not to sell Paige Becker's jerseys that say Paige Becker's on them. Right. And... You know, like jerseys would be cool. Personally, I'm more of a jersey fan. The shirt jerseys that like t-shirt that has the, the school name across it, the number, the name on the back. You can have both of those things. I mean, you could probably single-handedly close the athletic department deficit by selling Paige Becker's oh, yeah. jerseys and jerseys. Like just those alone would probably cover it because I think that would be a very, very, very hot item. And it's something that has never been possible before. I mean... All the stars that UConn's had, they've never been able to sell their jerseys. And obviously, jerseys are such a huge part of being a sports fan. When you've got a transcendent star like Paige Beckers, and I think AZ Fudd's star is only going to continue to rise as she gets better. And then, you know, the fan favorites, well, I was going to say like Nico Mule, but international kids are still not allowed to have NIL deals because there's something funky with their visa. I don't understand the ins and the outs of it, but anyone who's not from the U S can't participate in NIL deals, but a fan favorite like Nika mule, even if it can't necessarily be Nika mule, I'd imagine those would fly off the shelves and all the little girls and even the little boys, I would have killed for a Diana Taurasi Jersey when I was six years old. I mean, that would have been awesome. So if that's what this legislation can open up and if UConn decides to execute it, Again, big, big money in that. 
Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I think they will be selling out of those jerseys on like routine. It's gonna be like one of those things where you gotta like get them one, they come out, or you're not getting one. It's like I can't think of it's video or what it is, but like hot day at the ballpark, the concession guy walks out with all the sodas or with all the beers or with all the lemonade. And the minute he walks out the door, immediately they're all sold, and he just turns around and walks straight back into the wherever he gets stuff it's going to be like that with page beckers and all the team jerseys the minute they hit the shelves they're going to be gone like that so it would be very cool especially if you could kind of branch it out to other sports or maybe not necessarily have them available like you would with the women's team or the men's team but if you could order it kind of the way that you can online with you know, I just bought a John Quill Jones jersey for the Sun because I'm going to some Sun games this year and I love having jerseys for games. So if something like that where you can like order it online or if you can order it in the co-op and co-op bookstore, it hasn't been the co-op in like 10 <laughs> years now and they can make it for you there. Like still the co-op when I was in school. <laughs> okay, well, the last two years count as like five years. So there we go. <laughs> I've been out of school for like, oh no, I started school six years ago. That's terrifying. I've been out of school for six years. That's more terrifying. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that could, it could be worse. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Either way, like the possibilities that this could open up are huge. Or even, what was the other thing we discussed? Like page back, oh, page buckets, like shirts yeah. and hats and all those sorts of things. That would have to be more of a page backers thing, but. Wouldn't you rather have a Paige Buckets hat that has Yukon on it somewhere instead of just being something with her likeness? Like it makes all those products way more valuable. So I'm very intrigued to see how this is all used. Yeah, I think it's going to create like more opportunities for like the athletes too in general. Like I think there's a lot more probably opportunities to get endorsements when they can do things in their Yukon jersey or whatever. I think that will help them as well. Just the name recognition. I mean, there's been multiple times actually that I've now opened Instagram and a page Becker's post has popped up like first. And like, when I first look at it, my immediate thought is who the heck did I accidentally follow? Because there's some times where she's all dressed up and has her makeup done. And I genuinely do not recognize her. Yeah. Which, she looks like an entirely different person in some of those posts. It's so true. <laughs> yeah. So not that that's a bad thing, but and not that I think this needs to be a thing for Paige Beckers, but like if one of the lower level players on the roster isn't able to wear a Yukon thing, like how recognizable are they to not the average fan, but maybe the casual fan who, oh, I see this Yukon players promoting like whatever, like I don't necessarily know who this is, but I see it's a Yukon player. Like at the very least, I think you'll get those sorts of things where I don't know if that would have happened in the past if I really don't want to like say a specific name to make someone feel bad, but like it just one of the lesser popular players, maybe someone who doesn't get as many minutes, someone who's not as recognizable and on camera as much, all those sorts of things. So lots of possibilities that it opens up. And I mean, it only helps everyone involved i kind of understand why they would have put that rule in place to begin with but i think now that they've had a year of nil and we've kind of seen how it works it benefits everyone it benefits the student athletes it benefits whoever's 
signing the endorsements on the other end and it benefits the fans who are probably going to get way better merch as a result. Yeah, exactly. And I think you've started to see other schools doing it too. So like UConn's going to have to be able to do similar things to, to keep up in terms of recruiting. Right. Didn't South Carolina's like entire team get jerseys, if I'm remembering that yeah, right? Yeah, they did. And then I know Louisville is selling like Haley Van Leaf jerseys. So yeah, it's definitely starting to happen other places. Right. I mean, imagine, I don't think UConn's a great example because I can't imagine there's any players that UConn would want that would pick Louisville over UConn simply because, you know, you can sell your jersey at Louisville. But maybe for like the men's team is a better example where if you can have your own Jersey at UConn, but you can't have it at, I don't know, Michigan, that's mm-hmm. a random school to pick, but, or, or even Providence, let's say Providence. If it's a big East matchup, if you can have your Jersey at UConn, but you can't have your Jersey at Providence, that might not be the reason you make the decision, but at least it at least might get you leaning towards UConn. And then, if you have one positive thing, then you're going to suddenly start to see all the positive things. So it could just be more of that snowball effect. Either way, more jerseys are good. I mean, I think UConn's merchandise has gotten a lot better the last couple of years too. I was at baseball the other day and they have like authentic baseball jerseys that you can get there and like a whole truck of things, which I don't remember in the past. And just when I'm walking around the bookstore, it seems like there's so many different options than there used to be in the past. I don't know if you've noticed that, but UConn's merchandise game has been up recently. I can't tell you the last time I've been in the bookstore, honestly. <laughs> but I yeah. believe it. I do have a white whale, though, of UConn gear. And Ayanna Patterson was wearing it, I think, at first night. It's like a blue sweatshirt that has the old Husky logo with the script Huskies across the bottom. And I see people wearing it everywhere. And I've never once seen it in the bookstore and I can't find it online for the life of me. So I have no idea where people got that sweatshirt, but I can't find it. (laughs) Interesting. Or if you know where to get that sweatshirt, please. uh, Speaking for a friend, I would like to know where it is. (laughs) So from the current Huskies to the former Huskies, UConn's three seniors were all picked in the WNBA draft. All of them were picked in the second round and they really didn't go too many picks apart. So Kristen Williams didn't quite make the first round, but she was the second pick of the second round to the Washington mystics. And as we're recording this, her first professional season is already over. She's out for the season with a knee injury. The mystics didn't provide any details on it. There were reports that it happened in practice, though, and I think you could probably connect the dots on what a season-ending knee injury is. But that's just a horrible way to start your career. She missed four games in her college career. Three of them were because of COVID. To be that healthy for so long and to be that much of an iron woman and your first training camp, not that it would have been easy for her to make the team, but she certainly had a chance it certainly puts her behind the eight ball. So you just got to feel for her on a professional level, on a personal level, on all the levels. Yeah. It's had a really unfortunate situation. You have to feel really bad for her, especially because like the way the W is structured too. Like, I mean, she doesn't get paid for the season, which sucks even more. So 
yeah, a really, really tough break for her, but hopefully it sounds like she's going to be staying in DC and the mystics are going to be taking care of like her rehab and that type of stuff. So at least she will have that and be around the team. Some so hopefully that will help her out for next year. You know, there's so many things wrong with the WNBA roster rules. So this is only like item number 1500 that's wrong with it, but I don't understand why they don't have like an injured reserve where they can stick her on that. And the money doesn't go towards the salary cap, but she can still technically be under contract and all those sorts of things. Because like, I do think it's good that she landed with a good organization that is willing to keep her around, even though she's not necessarily under contract, but what are they going to be paying for? Like, can they pay for anything if she's not technically under contract? I do think though, if like, I think I saw something that they can pay for like housing and like her medical Okay. Treatment therapy. So at least that stuff will be paid for. So that's good. But Those yeah, are two so, very big things. Yeah. As well. If the logistical side is figured out and she can come back fully healthy, that having sort of a red shirt season is almost beneficial because there's so few spots on the mystics right now. And it's such a competitive training camp roster and she'll have a full year to get acclimated with the team, to build some chemistry, to understand the systems And even just having that chance to step back and get a little bit of a break, I wonder if that could actually benefit her a little bit, even though an injury is not the way you want it to happen. Could there be a silver lining to it? Yeah, I could definitely see the benefit of getting a break. Unfortunately, I don't think like the roster situations is getting any easier going forward. Like it's just going to keep getting worse until there's some kind of expansion, but Hopefully it'll still help her to be around the team, get to know people, things like that, and then have some time off and then get ready to come back next year. Not to continue harping on this point, but like, why can't they just expand the rosters by three to 15? That seems like a a very logical number. You can have three inactive players every single game. I think that's the way the NBA does it. And that creates 36 new jobs across the league you would have to add three expansion teams for that to equal the same number. And I feel like if you're adding three at once, when you haven't expanded and I don't even know how long that might not even be the most beneficial way for the league to go forward. So if you just add three spots to every single team and bump up the salary cap so that teams aren't playing with 11 players all season long, like it's absurd that they're not even using their full allotment because the salary cap is so low or structured the way that it is. Yeah, exactly. I feel like that seems like the logical solution. Like I get why they're not trying to expand by like numbers of teams right now, because like, yes, you have to find more ways to make things work the way it currently is, but something like adding roster spots is so much less of a like undertaking in terms of expanding and seems like kind of a no brainer. Yeah. I don't think it really, like it would change things for the better, but in terms of the structure of the league and the teams, like it would still be the same league. You wouldn't have to integrate a new team. You wouldn't have to integrate new owners. You wouldn't have to find good owners. If you can get the 12 teams that you have to start being a little more successful, and we are seeing it in some places like Minnesota and Seattle, if you can get those going forward and get good owners and have good ownership it seems like these owners are willing to spend the, at least in certain places. I mean, the fact that the Liberty owner got fined because he paid for chartered flights is just 
<laughs> both the most absurd thing of all time and also just the most peak WNBA thing of all time. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a big thing is they got to get more owners, though, that are in a position like the Liberty Ownership Group is. like Because I think there's too many places where the owners are not willing to invest as much as they need to to move the league forward. So, but yeah, getting the ownership in place and in the meantime, not expanding by teams because that doesn't help solve that problem, but expanding the roster size. So you don't have so much talent that just is like nowhere to go. I'm looking at the history of the WNBA teams right now. The last time there was an expansion was 2008. Oof. <laughs> 14 years ago. Yeah. That's, that's quite a long time. When they expanded, the Detroit Shock were still a team. It was the San Antonio Silver Stars and the Sacramento Monarchs still existed. Oh, wow. Yeah. It just doesn't, <laughs> doesn't seem like it should be that hard. No, it doesn't. It, it shouldn't be. Especially like I saw a stat this weekend that I don't know what the exact rating was, but the NWSL teams this past year or this past weekend had higher viewership numbers. I don't know if it was on linear linear television or overall than the MLS games. So oh, yeah. it it's clearly not a factor of, oh, it's just a women's sports league. Like, no, it, we're seeing firsthand how not only successful a women's sports league can be in this country, but how quickly it can grow. And it almost feels like it's not regressing. Like I, I still think the WNBA is moving <laughs> forward, Yeah, but it's very stagnant. Yeah. I think in a way soccer benefits from the fact that like men's soccer in the U S is nothing fantastic. So like the women's That's team really is what people care about. Like when you look at the national teams, like I think more people kind of quite frankly care about the women's national team than the men's national team because the men's national team never does anything. Um, Justifiably. So yeah. yeah, they did make the world cup. So I'll give them that, but like <laughs> they're not winning any world cups anytime soon where the women's team has. So I think the NWSL has largely benefited from that but agreed like i still think i don't know the w just doesn't it feels like sometimes that they stand in their own way a little bit right well and then you also look at the ratings that women's college basketball was getting this mm. past year and it feels like even just the last i don't even know what the proper timeline is here but maybe from like pre-pandemic the pre-pandemic season or maybe the season before that so four years to now it feels like the women's college game has experienced almost exponential growth in terms of viewership in terms of fans in terms of star power and the wnba doesn't feel like it's that much further along it like it's definitely gone forward but again it's a slow creep it is not like you can just see the jet engines firing right now and oh yeah i can't even think of where this is going to be in five years like no i have a pretty good idea of where the wnba is going to be in five years yeah exactly it hasn't like moved forward at the same pace and i feel like for some reason like the star power from college still just doesn't seem to like transfer over to the professional side and i don't know why that is but it just doesn't even like sue bird and diana tarasi i almost feel like their star power has transcended basketball at this point right so is that going to be what it is with Paige beckers when she graduates and enters the wnba like she's such a huge figure now and is a rare player that was a huge figure before she came to UConn. But what's it going to look like when she gets to the WNBA? That's going to be a very interesting case study. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see like this group of play- young players like Paige Beckers, like Aaliyah Boston, these players that have become these huge names in college that everyone kind of knows about. Caitlin Clark's another one. Like, is it a, is there a shift when they get to the W or not? I don't, I feel like I'm not confident that there's going to be a, like, I think we've seen the shift, like you said, in college and the talent and the star power, but is it going to happen at the next level? I don't know. Yeah. It'll part be of really- it is the organizations that get these like star players right now are like horrible organizations because like Indiana's going to have like a lottery pick and they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> the WNBA needs to start rigging its lotteries. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> like start pulling some NBA stuff where like you basically just throw out the rules of fairness, even though like you on the outside pretend that they still exist, but just start rigging it towards the organizations that deserve it. Yeah, exactly. Because like he's sending these like talents to Indiana or Dallas, these disaster organizations. Like, oh, <laughs> it's not moving the needle. They just continue to suck. Yes, exactly. Like when Aaliyah Boston enters the draft next year, like the Washington Mystics need the first pick. Yeah. Or like whoever is the best of those worst or the best of those teams that have a down year, I think mm-hmm. is the best way to put it. And then assuming Paige Beckers goes after her senior year, like she's not going to Indiana. I will make that prediction right now. The Indiana fever are not picking Paige Beckers. You know, what would actually be perfect is if the storm get her and then she just replaces Sue Bird. Like, actually that's my prediction now. Sue Bird retires. See that because I don't know that Stewie's staying there when Sue Bird retires. Anyway, that's a conversation for another day. (laughs) Well, yeah. So there we go. Uh, Sue Bird retires, Stewie leaves. They are horrible the year before Paige Becker's senior year. They get the number one pick, draft Paige Becker's, and then she's a new face of the franchise. Boom. That would be perfect. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's actually now pr- my prediction for what's going to happen in 2023. Assuming, of course, Paige doesn't leave early, which I have no idea. I yeah. could see an argument for why she would leave early. I can see an argument why she wouldn't leave early. Yep, exactly. Anyways, back to the draft. We we have gone on a quite a winding path since we were talking about the draft. The next pick after Kristen Williams at 14 was Olivia Nelson Adota to the Los Angeles Sparks at 19. That feels like a pretty good spot for her to go in the draft. High enough where, you know, she has a chance to make the team and it feels appropriate for her to go there and low enough to kind of take into her account her inconsistencies and her lack of dominance for her size so an interesting spot for her a place that could be a little tough for her to make the team but off to a good start yeah I mean she killed it in their preseason game that they played I think it was last weekend she had I think it was 15 points 12 rebounds five assists played 35 minutes so had a really really great start I still like I just don't see the path for her to make and it's not a roster it's just like LA's roster there's just not a lot of space they have some depth in the front court so could be a hard place for her to make the roster but she's certainly making a case for it in that preseason game and if nothing else I think that probably bodes well for her getting picked up someplace else if the sparks do cut her yeah she seems like someone who's gonna stick somewhere yeah and like again how is a player like Olivia Nelson Adota supposed to develop if there's nowhere on the roster of the team that drafted her? Right. Like, I think you look at like a player like that, that clearly has the potential, right, to do well in the 
the W. I mean, I think that preseason game shows you that she has potential, but how do you make room for these players to develop and get to that potential when there's no spot for them? In a very similar boat, Avina Westbrook went 21st overall to the storm. There is an interesting article in the Seattle Times about how one of her first days of practice, it just kind of clicked in her head that, you know what? This is my job now. I don't have to worry about school. I don't have to worry about anything except basketball. She said it's been a really great moment of clarity for her because now all she has to do is focus on basketball. She's been staying late after practice been getting a lot of praise from her teammates. Same thing where it's might be tough for her to make the storm, but it seems like she could find a spot somewhere else. Yeah, and I think her path to making a roster is a little bit easier than Olivia's, but agreed. I think it's still a tough case in Seattle for her to make a roster. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens there. I think she did play the most minutes off the bench for them that anyone did in that preseason game. Um, they put, she played against the Sparks or the, yeah, the Sparks. Um, but agreed, I think another player that even if she doesn't make a roster in LA or in Seattle, like could get picked up elsewhere. It would be fun to have her in Seattle this year though, when they've yeah. got such the collection of UConn players where like, you know, it's different if like, it would be great for her to catch on with any team, but you know, if she's waived and ends up with the New York Liberty, like it just doesn't have that same punch to it. Yeah, no, I think Seattle would be a great spot for her too. And especially because like when you only have so many spots on a roster, a player like Avina that can kind of do a little bit of everything is a good way to fill out one of those roster spots. But it's just a matter of like where where they need things on that roster. And there's a lot of veterans on that roster. So it's a tight, I mean, every place is a tight situation, right? There's like, there's only 12 spots on each team and there's a lot more than 12 people competing for them. Well, even still, a roster that's pretty star heavy. I mean, did Jewel yeah. Lloyd resign there? Yep. Yeah. Jewel Lloyd's still there. Brianna Stewart, Sue Bird, and Gabby Williams. It's not really a star, but UConn. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of things. You need someone on that roster who doesn't really care if they get the ball. Yeah. And I think Avina, if they said to her, look, you uh, aren't going to take a single shot this entire season, but you'll be on the roster the entire season. She would go, absolutely. I don't even need to shoot. What is shooting? Yep. Last week of, well, not the last week of pre. Yeah. Closing in on the last week of preseason. The regular season begins a week from Friday, May 6th. I believe it is. Uh, Some teams start the 7th. Either way, we'll start to get some of these decisions. Teams are beginning to cut down on their rosters. We'll see if Olivia Nelson and Olivia Westbrook make it through. What is your prediction for both of them? I, think, I don't. I just don't see how Liv makes the Spark Ross, Sparks roster. I just don't think it's the right situation for her. But hopefully, we'll see her get picked up elsewhere. I think he. I have a hard time telling with Seattle. Like I just like I don't think there's an obvious answer out of like their draft picks and who should get put in that spot. I could see her getting waived and then getting picked up later too. Like I think they. I want to say Mercedes Russell is out for the storm to start the season. So they might need to take someone with a little bit more size, but make a change later on. So it'll kind of be interesting to see what happens there. Hopefully she'll make the roster I'm hoping for her, but we'll see. It's hard to tell. Yeah. Again with Liv, I'm kind of with you. I think it's just not for a lack of 
what she's done, but more just a numbers game. I don't think she's going to make it, but we'll we'll throw good vibes out into the universe for E that she's going to make that Seattle roster. Yeah, and I do think that Liv will probably get picked up somewhere else. I think there's plenty of places that could use some size that hopefully she'll stick somewhere else. Yeah, for sure. On that note, that'll do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. You can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel V. Connolly. Be sure to subscribe to the show. So I know I've talked about its own feed for a while, and I actually tried, and I ran into like five different technical problems. So (laughs) still working on that. Now I at least have an excuse for why it's not done, though. So anything I can take. Other than that, read the UConn blog, sign up for the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly. We will be back next week to preview the WNBA season. Megan, send us out. Uh, Happy almost WNBA season, which in my opinion is the unofficial start of summer. So we're almost there. (laughs) Summer's coming here. Or coming. uh, Summer's on the horizon. Very excited for that. That'll do it from us. Thanks for listening.